Okay, so let's deal with this top story. It's been going viral. The story's been going viral. We posted about it yesterday on our Facebook fan page, uh, the African History Network, the African History Network. Uh, this deals with Chris Rock's uh, stand-up uh, special on Netflix, and it streamed live uh, on Netflix on Saturday, March fourth. I didn't know what was going to happen. I found out about it while you know it was on live. I just today also, so I was preoccupied with that. To be honest with you, but um, I found out, you know, from social media at his uh, much-anticipated special, A Selective Outrage, was streaming on Netflix. It was streaming live on Netflix, okay? And there's about 10 minutes in it uh, where he talks about being slapped by a Will Smith at the Grammys last year, okay? Now, there's an article. We're going to clip number one here in just a second, Doug. Okay, there's, a, there's an article from... Uh, Variety.com, also NBC News as well. Uh, Chris Rock shreds Will Smith with Oscar slap jokes. Everybody called him a B, and and who does he hit? Who does he hit? Me. All right. And, and he talked about. We remember he uh, made a joke about uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's bald head at the Oscars. GI Jane two. Now, there's no evidence, and I followed this very closely. There's no, there's no evidence that Chris Rock knew that she suffered from alopecia, had a scalp issue, had, had and her hair was falling out. Um, but he it, it's pretty interesting how this unfolded. Almost a year after the infamous Oscars slap, comedian Chris Rock finally addressed what happened in his live Netflix special, Selective Outrage, Selective Outrage. After an hour of new material that only alluded to what they call Slapgate, quote, they say uh, they say words hurt. Uh, anybody who says words hurt have never been punched in the face. Uh, he joked earlier in the night. Uh, Chris Rock finally broke down the aftermath of finally broke down the aftermath of the onstage smack from Oscar winner, Will Smith. Um, so he said, you all know what happened to me getting smacked by Shook Smith, et cetera. I'm going to let you hear from Chris Rock in just a minute. Uh, now, despite the pressure from the press to open up about what happened, Chris Rock is adamant that he won't be dissecting it on a talk show. He said, I'm not a victim, baby. You will never uh, see me on Oprah or Gail crying. You will never uh, see it. It's never going to happen, et cetera. Uh, but as for whether the slap hurt, Chris Rock uh, was direct. Uh, he said, Will Smith is significantly bigger than me. We are not the same size. Will Smith does movies with his shirt off. You've never seen me do a movie with my shirt off. Will Smith played Muhammad Ali in a movie. You, you think I auditioned for that part? He said, I played Pookie in New Jack City. I played a piece, I played a piece of corn in Pootie Tang. Okay. One of probably one of the worst movies ever made in history, Pootie Tang. But, but okay. So we know that uh, Will Smith was banned from the Oscars, attending the Oscars for 10 years. Um, the, now, Jada Pinkett Smith 
revealed on her show, um, the Red Table, that she had an affair with uh, August Alsina, R&B singer August Alsina. I can't name one song that he sings. Um, but this was during a time that, if I remember correctly, this was during the time that uh, Will Smith and Jada were separated, according to her. All right. Now, uh, let's go to this clip here, uh, Doug. I want the people to hear uh, what happened. Let's go to clip one. The slap heard around the world. Comedian Chris Rock finally had his say to an audience of millions. Y'all know what happened to me. Getting smacked by Sugar Smith. Using his long-awaited special, Selective Outrage, streamed live on Netflix to take big swings back at actor Will Smith. People like did it hurt. It still hurts. I got summertime ringing in my ears. The slap, as you'll recall, happened when Rock made a joke at last year's Oscars about Jada Pinkett Smith's appearance. Will Smith just smacked the out of me. Smith eventually made a public apology. Uh, my behavior was unacceptable. And was banned from the Oscars for a decade. <laughs> Rock was long silent on the slap. Now the way he tells it, he bore the brunt of Smith's alleged marital troubles. Some of Rock's hardest hits saved for Jada. She thought this. The timing of the Netflix special is no coincidence. Just a week ahead of this year's Oscars. A lot of people go, Chris, how come you didn't do nothing back? I got parents. And you know what my parents taught me? Don't fight in front of white people. Yet after all the punchlines, it isn't clear if Rock and Smith, who were close friends, have actually spoken. Representatives for the Smiths didn't respond to requests for comment. I have rooted for Will Smith my whole life. And now I, I watch Emancipation just to see him get whooped. <laughs> About the slap that's still at center stage and stinging. Janice McEfrayer, NBC News, Los Angeles. All right. So <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I'm going to, I guess I'll renew my subscription to, uh, I guess, I guess I'll renew my subscription to Netflix because there's not a whole lot on Netflix that I want to see. Uh, I do have Hulu. I've been watching Abbott Elementary on Hulu since it won NAACP awards and I've heard so much about it, but, um, I, I guess I have to renew my subscription to Netflix at least for a month to, to watch this. So give us a call or post your comments here. 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 um, is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Now, if we uh, go back uh, quickly here to the article from um, the article from Variety. And there was also a good article from uh, NBC News as well. Okay, let's close this out. Um, let's see here. So the comedian went on to reveal that the title of the show was also inspired by the slap. 
He said, quote, Will Smith practices, uh, he said, Will Smith practices selective outrage, Chris Rock explained. Everybody who really knows, knows I had nothing to do with that stuff. I didn't have any entanglements. Now, for viewers that might not have understood Chris Rock, uh, might not have understood what Chris Rock was referring to. He was referring to the infamous Red Table Talk episode featuring Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, a feature of Will Smith and his wife, Jada Pinkett, Pinkett Smith, where she admitted she admitted to having an affair with another man. OK. Uh, and Chris Rock said his wife was having sex with her son's friend. I normally would not talk about that. Uh, I have no idea why two talented people would do something uh, that low down. We've all been cheated on. Everybody in here uh, been cheated on. None of us ever been interviewed by the person that cheated on us. Okay. None of us have ever been interviewed by the person that cheated on us on us on television. She hurt him way more than he hurt me, Chris Rock said. All right. So, so, um, it, it's pretty interesting. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that it was, uh, coming. I, I didn't know that the, uh, the, the special was going to air. Um, so you'll hear a lot more about that as well. It's going to be interesting to see what the response is going to be from, um, the, uh, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith camp as well. Maybe they'll do another Red Table talk about it also. Um, I don't know. All right. So Draymond Green um, is in the news. And something happened the last day of Black History Month. Now, you know, we talk about African-American history, African history, 365 days a year. But February 28th, he made some very ignorant, uninformed comments. I'm going to let you hear what he said uh, on the other side of the break. And then I'm going to go through and dissect this and show you why he was wrong. You listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday. March 5th, 2013, 20, uh, 2023, I should say, March 5th, 2023, and we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number, calling number if you have a question or comment. Okay, so we just wrapped up uh, Black History Month, African American History Month, uh, February 28th. A lot of us study this history year-round. OK. And on February 28th, Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors made some comments at a, a post game uh, post game interview. And he was um, asked about a picture that he uh, took with George Clinton. OK, George Clinton, P-Funk All-Stars, One Nation Under Groove, getting down just for the funk of it. Right. Draymond Green was responding to a question about a George Clinton, uh, about George Clinton. Uh, and he took a picture with George Clinton uh, before the game at the Chase Center in San Francisco. OK. Draymond Green said, I don't listen to George Clinton every day, 
but 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 what I do want to do, but what I do want to go back to is Black History Month. He said, uh, noting that he only wore the NBA's celebration themed shirts. Black they had they were wearing Black History Month celebration themed shirts. Um, he said he only wore it because he couldn't find anything else. I guess anything else to wear. Draymond Green made it clear that his issue is not the celebration of black history. He made it clear his issue is not the celebration of black history. Hey, Doug, let's go to clip two uh, from Yahoo News. Uh, I, I want people to hear what Draymond Green had to say. First time you've seen me in a Black History Month uh, shirt, all Black History Month, and it's very intentional. And I really just threw this shirt on because I didn't have another shirt to throw on. But Black History Month, at some point, can we get rid of it? Like, at some point? Why, why, why we got to keep getting the shortest month to celebrate our history? We got governors want to take our history out of schools. And I'm not going to be the fool to go say, yeah, we get celebrated for 28 days. So at some point, I'd like to get rid of it. It's, you know, we, we're making all these changes in the world. Can't talk about these people. Can't talk about those people. Can't say this. Can't say that. At some point, it's time to get rid of Black History Month. I get rid of Black History like they're trying to do. But Black History Month? Nah, teach, teach, teach my history from January 1st to December 31st, and then do it again, and then again, and then again, and then again. That's what I'd like to see. Uh, this book that I'm holding up right here is called The Miseducation of the Negro by Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Came out in 1933. So... Um, let, 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 let's deal with this this way for, for the sake of time. Okay. Let, let me go to, uh, my slides dealing with Dr. Carter G. Woodson and the history of Negro history week, which became black history month. All right. Uh, first of all, the reason why it's in, uh, the month of February has nothing to do with it being the shortest month of the year. And I wish people would stop saying stupid ass stuff like that. Okay. If you, if you had done something as simple as Google, why is black history month in February? It will come up with the information and let you know that uh, it's because February contains the birth dates of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Abraham Lincoln's birthday is February 12th. Frederick Douglass' birthday is February 14th. And these uh, birth dates take, uh, fall in the second week of February. So Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who had a PhD in American history from Harvard, who was an educator and who co-founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, September 9th, 1915, to scientifically study, preserve, and document the historical accomplishments and achievements of African-Americans, um, he put the monthly cultural celebration in 
the second week of February because there were already celebrations going on in the African-American community during that period of time. Okay. That's why it's in, that's why it's in the month of February. It has nothing to do with it being the shortest month of the year, the coldest month of the year, or any of these other ignorant uh, excuses that people make to disrespect Dr. Carter G. Woodson and attack a cultural celebration that we created ourselves. We did not ask white people permission uh, to celebrate our history. We created that. Okay, we cre we created that. All right. Now, if we look here at the at the, um, I want to go to uh, the PowerPoint presentation here. Just let me pull up this slide. All right. Now, Dr. Dr. Carter G. Woodson founded Negro History Week in 1926. He explained the reason behind the celebration in a pamphlet widely distributed, widely distributed uh, months before the first celebration was to take place during the second week in February. He actually sent out a press release, he sent out a memo um, in late uh, 1925 announcing that Negro History Week would be the second week in February 1926. He chose the second week in February in commemoration of Frederick Douglass and uh, Abraham Lincoln's birthday, as I explained. Dr. Carter G. Woodson explained that blacks knew, quote unquote, practically nothing, practically nothing about their history. For some of us, that's still the case, even for some black millionaires. Uh, distinction of race without distinction of race, merit or rank, with sublime enthusiasm and heavenly vision of the great teacher. Let us let us help men rise above the race hate of their age unto the altruism of a rejuvenated universe. So Dr. Woodson talked about how uh, a lot of the uh, race hatred, a lot of the stereotypes of African Americans, things like this come from our history not being taught in schools and he felt that the history of African Americans need to be taught in every school across the country not just schools where we were the predominant uh, uh, student body but he felt that our history needed to be taught to everybody regardless of race or ethnicity okay we'll continue this on the other side of the break this to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel we'll be back in a few minutes Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, the Future Radio. All right, calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Uh, I was on Faraji Muhammad's show, The Culture, this past Monday, and we talked about uh, um, a couple of topics that we talked about on the African History Network show last Sunday. Uh Japanese Americans, uh, yes, yeah, some Japanese American groups that are uniting with African Americans to help us fight for reparations. Um, we talked about that, and we have uh, that segment re-airing on our uh, Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel. Uh, so we, so we have that, and then also we we discussed that, and then uh, also we discussed uh, Dilbert uh, creator Scott Adams. Um, his idiotic comments about African-Americans referring to African-Americans as a hate group. We discussed those two topics as well on Faraji Muhammad's show, The Culture. Okay. Uh, that's on uh, Roland Martin's network. So I'm on every Monday 
uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can check that out. Uh, at the same time, listen to 910 a.m. WFDF. And we, we broadcast those segments on, on my social media platforms also. All right. Uh, I want to go back to we'll go to the phone lines here in just a minute. But I want to go back to um, the uh, Draymond Green uh, clip here. Hold on just a second. Where did that picture go? Uh, okay. So also check out this article from Yahoo Sports. Uh, Warrior star Draymond Green says, get rid of Black History Month. Teach my history from January 1st to December 31st. Clearly. He hasn't read a book. Clearly, he has not studied the history of Black History Month and Dr. Carter G. Woodson. All right, uh, let's go back to this clip, uh, Doug. I want to I want to play that clip again. See, the first time you see me in a Black History Month uh, shirt, all Black History Month, and. It's very intentional, and I really just threw this shirt on because I didn't have another shirt to throw on. But Black History Month, at some point, can we get rid of it? Like, at some point? Why why, why we got to keep getting the shortest month to celebrate our history? You got governors want to take our history out of schools. And I'm not going to be the fool to go say, yeah, we get celebrated for 28 days. So at some point, I'd like to get rid of it. It's, you know, we, we're making all these changes in the world. Can't talk about these people. Can't talk about those people. Can't say this. Can't say that. At some point, it's time to get rid of Black History Month. Get rid of Black History. Like, they're trying to do. But Black History Month? Nah. Teach, teach, teach my history from January 1st to December 31st. And then do it again. And then again. And then again. And then again, that's what I like to see. Uh, okay. So let's continue with this history lesson because, I mean, this is like Morgan Freeman in 2006 when Morgan Freeman was interviewed by Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes and Morgan Freeman said, I don't want a black history month. Black history is American history. And we we have a tendency to disrespect things that we create. Like Kwanzaa. We have a tendency to disrespect things that recreate, we create and don't understand the history of them. And Black History Month was never designed to be the only time of the year we study our history. It's a it's a cultural celebration. Also, there's an annual theme for Black History Month. Now, how many people notice there's an annual theme for Black History Month? And this year's annual theme uh, is Black Resistance, Black Resistance and Black Resistance Movements. There's been an annual theme for Black History Month since 1928. Now, what I find interesting is when I hear people make comments like this, like Draymond Green and, and others, just totally uninformed comments. If they use Google for like two minutes, they could save themselves a lot of embarrassment. I noticed they never mentioned Dr. Carter G. Woodson. 
They never mentioned the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. And they never mentioned the fact that there's been an annual theme for uh, Black History Month or African-American History Month since 1928. Going back to 1928, there's been an annual theme. Now, we've talked about the annual theme here uh, on the show. And I did four free lectures, online lectures that are still there. You can go to our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com and register for them and watch them dealing with black resistance and black resistance movements. This is the official website of ASALA, Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. You see Dr. Woodson's picture right there. Once again, he's not smiling. Association for the Study of African-American Life and History established 1915. This picture of Dr. Woodson, he's not smiling. I can't say I blame him. Um, and then it talks about this year's annual theme, okay? Black resistance. African-Americans have resisted ongoing oppression in all forms, especially racial, especially the racial terrorism of lynching, racial pogroms, and police killings since, the, since our arrival on these shores. Now, I said before in my online lectures, and people that watch them know I said this, that should be changed not since we arrived on these shores, but since Europeans arrived here, because we were here in this land before Europeans got here. This was our land stolen from us. One of the names of this land was Turtle Island. You read Dr. David M. Hotep's book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. African people have been in the land we call the United States of America going back at least 51,700 years. These were the Khoisan, the short-statured Africans coming from Southern Africa, who are the ancestors to the Ainu and the Tuango all around the world. That should be changed. We were here before Europeans got here. The sooner we understand that and the sooner we understand that this was our land stolen from us, you have a seismic shift in the consciousness of African people in this culture, a country overnight. But as long as we think we first came here in 1619, you're going to keep getting the short end of the stick. These efforts have been to advocate for a dignified, self-determined life in a just democratic society in the United States and beyond the uh, United States political jurisdiction. So then they talk about the civil rights movement, sit-ins, boycotts, walkouts, etc. They talk about uh, Langston Hughes and Dr. King, Seth McClark, Fannie Lou Hamer. But then they go in and talk about in an effort to live and maintain, protect economic success, black people have organized, planned violent insurrections against those who enslaved them, such as in Haiti, and armed and armed themselves against murderous white mobs, as in Memphis, Tennessee, 1892, and that was the mob store murders. And that's how uh, Ida B. Wills got involved in the anti-lynching movement. Okay. They talk about Rosewood, Florida. January 5th was the anniversary of the Rose, Rosewood massacre, January 5th, 1923. Uh, New Orleans, 1900. Uh, that's the Robert, uh, Robert Charles riots in 1900. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll go to the phone lines when we come back from the break. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. All right, calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Uh, we're going to the phone lines here. Uh, right before the break, we were talking about uh, Golden State Warriors, uh, Draymond Green's uh, idiotic comments from February 28th. 2023, last day of African-American History Month. 
Uh, this article here from Yahoo Sports, Warriors star Draymond Green says, get rid of Black History Month. Teach my history from January 1st to December 31st. Now, number one, a lot of people do teach the history like year round. Uh, should be more people reading the history and studying the history year round. Uh, but let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to, um, let's see, line one. We have line one. We have uh, Grace. Uh, Lady Grace, line one. Thanks for holding. Lady Grace, tell us where you're calling from. I'm in the Detroit metropolitan area. Um, I've called your show maybe a couple times. The first time, um, it was very short. But, and, and I'm just going to come very direct. Mm-hmm. It is very, very clear that your intelligence is very high when it comes to African-American, black history, whatever you want to call it. And, and, and that is undeniable. And I compliment you when the first time I've heard you. And that was really the first time I've heard you um, because I'm not from um, Detroit. And I complimented you because it was very refreshing to hear how much information was coming out. And it, and it was just refreshing to me. Um, everybody is not going to uh, take that the same way. And I'm saying the way Draymond um, spoke about that, it could be perceived another way from other people with their intelligence not so high as yours. They could perceive it another way. With your intelligence, you went straight in like it was an ignorant statement. I took it, and other people listened to it, that he was venting about it. Let's just not accept this month. Why it can't be the December, I mean, January to December. And we're, we're constantly taking tokens that they're giving us. They're who, meaning they? white folks. Because they? they chose to acknowledge that particular month um, federally, and we're supposed to just accept it. And some of us oh, feel you didn't have to give us that because we're doing it anyway. No, they and didn't I, give I us didn't anything. Really whoa, whoa, whoa. Too slow down, slow down, it. slow down. They didn't give us anything. We created that. They did not give us anything. This is part okay. of the problem. We keep acting like white people gave us. No, we created that. And we were celebrating it for, for, for a month. Slow down. We were celebrating it for a month before it was even recognized by President Gerald Ford in 1976 because that's when it it, okay. it, it officially went from a week to uh, a monthly uh, a, a celebration. We created this. Study Dr. Carter G. Woodson. This is part of the problem. We keep saying nope. they, we keep saying they, we, th- there's been an annual theme since 1928. Mm-hmm. White mm-hmm. people yes. did not You're create the, the annual. No, I'm not You're missing the point. point. No, I, I'm, I'm hearing you. I am not missing your point. The problem is we don't understand well, the point. No. We don't understand this history. Uh, and then we keep trying to say they keep giving us something. We created this. And we and we keep disrespecting okay. what we created. <laughs> Have you ever studied Dr. Carter G. Woodson? Listen, I can tell you're, I can you're tell, totally I, I can, way I, off the spectrum. No, no. I am actually saying when I say they gave, it was a federal acknowledgement. It was, was a federal acknowledgement after we had been It was a federal acknowledgement. I've read the proclamation from 1976. That's after we had been celebrating it for 50 years. They didn't give us a damn thing. Okay. They didn't give us anything. We started celebrating okay. that in 1926 because we created that. The, 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 federal, the, the, the proclamation. Was it on slow calendars? Down. Was it on the national calendars? Slow, slow down. Where people slow get off work and slow, all this kind of extra stuff. Slow, slow down. Ahead. You don't get off work for Black History Month. See this. See this is the problem. Put her on hold for a second. Wow. This is this is the yeah. problem. This is the problem. 
Now, you got a black millionaire who could hire the top 10 black scholars to teach him black history the, every day of the week when he's not playing basketball. Or you could Google, why is Black History Month in February? But we don't do things like that. And then we disrespect somebody like Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who sacrificed his life to educate a people who still don't read. He, he created a publishing company in 1921 called Associated Publishers, Inc. to publish textbooks for black school children so black teachers could teach black school children their history. We need to stop making excuses. Go to the next caller. We need to stop making excuses. This makes absolutely no sense. We're in the information age. Everybody has a smartphone and we're dumber than ever. Let's go to Jerome. Yes, this is uh, Jerome speaking. Yeah, Jerome, go ahead. You called in last uh, last Sunday, right, Jerome? Yes, I did. Yeah, I remember you. Yeah, you, you, know, called, um, in later, you called in later in the show. Uh, and we ran out of time, so go go ahead. We got we have a little more time for you this this uh, this Sunday. Go ahead. Yeah, there are some things that are that are real important. First of all, I spent most of the day last Wednesday in Lansing talking to legislators. Okay, I went to caucus meetings. I talked to representatives. I even talked to a speaker at the house. And uh, to my surprise, uh, with uh, uh, at least three of them. They were surprised when I asked them did they do any research on uh, how our history or the benefits of our history uh, being in the books. Now, are you on a speakerphone? You, your your voice sounds I, muffled. Your voice? Are you on the speakerphone, Jerome? No, I'm not. Oh, if you're on a Bluetooth or a speakerphone, I'll, come off of it because your voice sounds muffled. I'm on a regular. Okay, regular phone. Okay, just just regular. No no Bluetooth and no speakerphone. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. How about, how about now? Yeah, that sounds a little clearer. Go so, ahead, because I want to make sure everybody can hear you. Go ahead. Well, well, the, the bottom line is, is um, you know, when you talk about Carter G. Woodson, you know, you know, I've I, I often said that what what uh, what most impressed me with all the information is the cover of the book, which is a picture of a black person with a padlock on their brain. Mm -hmm. That's one but version of I it. Believe that's, that's, that, yeah, that's, that's, there's one I version of the Go ahead. Well, I think the new version is going to have a, a picture of a person with blinders on and their ears cut off. Um, <laughs> and and what, you say, what you say all the time, a man, a mind cannot do or teach what it does not know. Right. Um, here it is. And, and this is something to think about. And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, if our history was in the book, it will not change not one law. But it would force certification. And this is the reason that, that Governor DeSantis and all of the other uh, uh, states who, who already have a resolution saying you cannot teach American history in any public schools or institutions. They know that if our history was in the books, it would force certification of everyone with everything that they do. Because if we are Americans, that means that right now nobody at the highest level of government is obeying the law. Because in order for you to teach or to represent a white child or a white person, you have to have the necessary hours of accreditation, three credits 
through social studies of their history from kindergarten through college. But our history is not in the books. So you can do whatever well, you want to do with us. You can kick us, you can stomp us, throw it out of the window, well, do whatever you want to do. Let me slow you down for a second. There are different, different states have different laws and different standards when it comes to education in various states there is um, african-american history in their textbooks now some 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 school districts may not have a separate african-american history course but there is some of that history in um the textbooks what has to happen is that uh, there has to be I, the majority of control over education is at the state level, not the federal level. OK, just like the majority of control over policing is not at the federal level. It's not in Congress. It's not with the president. It's at the state level. And that goes to the Tenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states rights. Um, you do have, for instance, it was in um, I think it was Vermont or Delaware, one, one of those states that's making um, African-American history classes, they, they have it, they, they're expanding it from, um, they're expanding it and making it mandatory. I'll try to find that article here uh, during the, because we're coming up on the break. I'll try to find that article here. What, what has to happen is that the um, history of African-Americans has to be taught more uh, in the schools, but you have to also fight against the anti-critical race theory laws that are being passed, especially in a lot of Southern states that are, a lot of those laws are very vague. And the fact that they are vague is what it's doing is creating fear among uh, a lot of teachers because it's not necessarily clear what can be taught and what can't be taught. And, you know, teachers naturally don't want to lose their jobs because they have families also. Um, go go ahead, and I'll try to find that article, and I'll hold you over the break. But go go ahead, um, uh, Jerome. Here's the key here. Every state where you become a teacher, and also you get your certification, mm -hmm. you have to. You, you have to have the necessary hours certification of their history just to be certified as a teacher in okay. every state. Okay. Yeah. So we're fighting the wrong we're, we're fighting the wrong fight. Here in Michigan, especially where there's the largest concentration of African American uh, 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 people, and our mayor right here right now with the reparations task force does not want the schools as part of it because he knows that the damages done by the state of Michigan, even if they had good intentions, were just the wrong decisions. They treated our children like war, and the evidence shows there was never a headline report on how their decisions affected the children. And the children never had legal representation. They had representation with the keep the vote no takeover against the school board. Well, school board had legal representation. Well, let, let the teachers had legal Jer representation. Jerome, hold on just a second. But let the people, children never had legal representation. Jer Jerome, let people know what it is you're talking about, legal representation regarding what? Because this is a national show. So the people listening across the country that don't know what you're talking about. It's simply 
in the 20 years of emergency management, they made decisions on curriculum. They also made decisions on getting rid of the school center building. They took everything uh, out of the curriculum. They gave away the radio station, which is like treating our children like war. That's the first thing that happens when you go behind enemy lines. You take over, you knock out all signs of communication, and you take over all radio stations. That's what they did to our children. And, and when they took the curriculum out, and now they're talking about uh, Michigan State coming in to assist our schools with training programs, which they took all of our trades out of the schools on purpose ahead of time. And our current mayor was there then along with the governor, and they're all in it now with Governor DeSantis and Trump and all the rest of them right now. Today. Our governor right now is she would just counter what Governor DeSantis is doing. But she's not doing it. Not one word. And all our... Well, what Governor Sanders is doing, that was legislation that came from the state legislature that he signed, like the Anti-Woke Act, okay? That was, that was legislation that was signed that set the pretext for them to object to the uh, advanced placement African-American studies course. All right, look, we're coming up on the break. Uh, when we come back, we'll continue this discussion. I'm going to uh, share some more information about Dr. Carly G. Woodson. Then we're going to go to uh, the next topic here because this is only a two-hour show. Um, today, this weekend, is the 58th anniversary celebration of Bloody Sunday. President Joe Biden was in Selma, Alabama, and he chided the GOP Republicans for trying to hide the truth about black history in marking Bloody Sunday. Listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show. All right, calling numbers 313-778-7600 is the calling number. We'll go back to the phone lines in a couple minutes here. Uh, we'll go to Fidel, uh, who's holding also. Okay, so be sure to uh, visit. I gave this out before, and apparently, uh, it, well, let me just... <laughs> Asala.org, A-S-A-L-H, Asala.org. That is the official website of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. The organization that Dr. Carter G. Woodson co-founded September 9th, 1915. They have information there dealing with Black History Month, the origins of Black History Month, the annual themes, the themes going back to 1928, all this uh, is all right here. So I, I'm confused. If we look at the first, if we look at some of the themes, some of the themes dealt with the continent of Africa. 1928, civilization, a world achievement. 1929, possibility of putting Negro history in the curriculum. 1930, significant achievements of the Negro. 1933, Ethiopia meets era and truth. 1935, the Negro achievements in Africa. Hey, this, this, was, this, this was never designed just to study the accomplishments and achievements of African-Americans in this country. 1936, African background outlined. 1941, the career of Frederick Douglass. 
1950, Outstanding Moments in Negro History. Uh, 1960, Strengthening America Through Education in Negro History and African Culture. 1962, Negro History and New Birth of Freedom. 1966, Freedom from Racial Myths and Stereotypes Through Negro History. 1969, Changing the Afro-American Image Through History. 1970, 15th Amendment and Black America in the Century. 1971, African Civilization and Culture, a Worthy Historical Background. 1973, bi Biography Illuminates the Black Experience. 1975, Fulfilling America's Promise, Black History Month. 1978, the year after the Roots miniseries debuted on ABC. 1978, Roots, Achievements, and Projections. 1981, Black History, Role Model for Youth. 1982, Afro-American Survival. 1992, the 400th, uh, the uh, 500th year commemoration of Christopher Columbus landing in the Caribbean in the Bahamas, October 12, 1492, 1992, African roots experience new, war new worlds pre-Columbus to space exploration. All right. Uh, so read that at asala.org. Um, okay, let me go back to let me go back to this here because we ran out of time. We'll go back to the phone lines here in just a second because I, 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 some of this stuff I really don't understand. I, I really, really don't because we'll Google every damn thing else. Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, Nicki Minaj. August Alcine will Google everything else. If you Google, why is Black History Month in February? Who created Black History Month? The phone, that the phone will explode. It's just all the, the information is there. Now, it is different if you don't know how to use Google. I'll give you a pass. Okay. If you don't know how to use Google, if you ain't never Google nothing in your life, if you don't know how to use a smartphone, if you don't know how to use a computer. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I want to go back to uh, this. Uh, had a couple slides left here. Um, let's go back to this one here. Okay, so Dr. Dr. Woodson argued, let me see, let me go to the next one here. Um, hold on. All right. Let's see here, let's go back. Okay, Negro History Week was the first major achievement in popularizing black history 
and was unique in that it focused on black youth. Now, did white people tell us to focus on black youth? No, Dr. Woodson was an educator. He was born 10 years after slavery ended. He was born in 1875. Negro History Week was the first major achievement in popularizing black history and was unique in that it focused on black youth. Dr. Woodson realized that the miseducation of black people began in their homes, communities, and elementary schools. We could also say on some radio shows and we could say on some social media platforms as well today. Dr. Carter G. Woodson's vision of Negro History Week was optimistic, strategic, and long-term. Optimistic, strategic, and long-term. Not the white man's vision of Negro History Week, but Dr. Woodson's vision because he created it. Dr. Carter G. Woodson wanted this modest week-long celebration to serve as a stepping stone, to serve as a stepping stone toward the gradual introduction of black history into the curricula of all levels of the U.S. educational system because he was an educator. Dr. Carter G. Woodson hoped that Negro History Week would evolve into Negro History Year as he affirmed from time to time. Dr. Woodson consistently instructs observing the week that they needed to diligently prepare for the celebration months in advance and that after mid-February they needed to continue acknowledging the role of African descendants in world history. This is this is what Dr. Woodson was doing in 1926 and 27, 28 and 29 and 30 with a lot less resources than we have today. Most of our people didn't have telephones in the 20s and 30s. And we no internet, no text messaging, no cell phones. This brother created a publishing company in 1921, Associated Publishers Inc. Created the Journal of Negro History in 1916 to publish scholarly papers by African-American historians. And we sitting up here talking about the, what, what the white man won't let us do and what the white man gave us and all this nonsense. Are you serious? Quote, Negro History Week should be a demonstration of what has been done in the study of the Negro during a year during the year and at the same time as a demonstration of greater things to be accomplished. Dr. Woodson instructed school teachers because with the because this cultural celebration focused on children. And that was the the week of the year that school children were supposed to demonstrate what they had been studying all year round about the history of African people. Not when we got the year study our history, study it year round, and then that's a cultural celebration. So that second week in February, you demonstrate what you've been studying all year round. We have it as backwards. Dr. Woodson said a subject which receives attention one week out of the 36 will not mean much to anyone because it was never designed to be the only time of the year we study our history. 
people usually say that the people that don't study our history. Read Dr. Pero Gaglo Dagbovi's book, Carter G. Woodson in Washington, D.C., The Father of Black History. He's a history professor at Michigan State University. I met him a few years ago um, at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. He was speaking there for Black History Month, and uh, he was talking about his book. Fantastic book dealing with the life of Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Also, my friend, Dr. Daryl Scott who's a former history professor at uh, Howard University, Daryl Scott, I think he's at Morgan State now. Uh, Dr. Daryl Scott is a past president of Asala for many years. He wrote a book on Dr. Woodson as well. All right, we'll continue this on the other side of the break. When we come back, we'll talk about Bloody Sunday, March uh, 7th, 1965. And they commemorated Bloody Sunday of this weekend in Selma, Alabama. I'll, I'll let you hear some comments from uh, President Joe Biden. You listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, uh, the future radio. All right. If you uh, missed this weekend's online history classes uh, that I taught, uh, you can still register for the online courses and you can watch the classes on demand. Uh, visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. On Saturdays, I teach uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years, thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. It is uh, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, video clips, uh, articles, etc. The class is on sale $80, regularly $130. And I'm going to post the uh, link here uh, right on the uh, thread of the broadcast. And then on Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, I teach... From the uh, uh, black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution to uh, the U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement. OK, 1800 to 1968, 1800 to 1968. We go through and look at history chronologically from 1800 to 1968 and uh, to understand what happened to us after slavery ended. What were the laws and policies put in place? to uh, put us right where we are today to understand where we need to go from here, all right? Uh, and this is a, a extremely crucial because when we look at the voter suppression that's taking place right now, uh, this is a resurgence of voter suppression, but we see it going back to uh, the Reconstruction era, okay? Uh, which is 1865, 1877, and after a in class today, uh, we dealt with uh, the Haitian Revolution and started talking about the Louisiana Purchase of uh, 1803 because the uh, Haitian Revolution and Louisiana Purchase, the, uh, those two events are related. Okay, those two events are related. And you, you have to understand um, a chronology of history. All right. Historical events don't happen in the vacuum. They are the result of a sequence of historical events that take place. OK, that lead up to other events uh, happening. 
All right. So uh, visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. And uh, you can register for classes. Uh, so our next class is uh, Saturday. Uh, it'll be Saturday, March, uh, Saturday, March 12th and Sunday, March 13th. Okay, let's continue here. Uh, let's go back to uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Let's go to Jerome so he can make his last comments because I have other topics to get to and run run out of time. Go ahead, Jerome, with your last comments. Do we have Jerome? Okay, who we have? Fidel. Okay, Fidel, go ahead with your question or comment, Fidel. Fidel, we have Fidel on the line. We're live, on the air live. Okay, uh, let's get Fidel straight. We'll come back to him. Uh, let me go back to the uh, uh, slides I was showing here. And this is from a PowerPoint presentation I do dealing with uh, uh, African American History Month, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, but also in the, the uh, Black Resistance uh, Movement free lectures I was doing during Black History Month as well. We talked about that also. Okay. All right. And Dr. Carter G. Woodson uh, lived from, he was born December 19th, 1875, born in Virginia, uh, died April 3rd, 1950. Okay. April 3rd, 1950. All right. Now let's go to, I'm going to go to this next story here. And this deals with uh, Bloody Sunday. March 7th, 1965. So you saw a lot of coverage uh, this weekend dealing with the 58th uh, anniversary, 58th commemoration of Bloody Sunday. And this is when uh, African-Americans like John Lewis, Hosea Williams, uh, and others were trying to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. This was after Jimmy Lee Jackson was shot and killed by Alabama state troopers. Contrary to what they said on MSNBC today, uh, Dr. King was not at Bloody Sunday. OK, um, he was not there. So and also Je Reverend Jesse Jackson was not there as well. Reverend Jesse Jackson had pneumonia. Uh, but there was an article from uh, the Hill dot com of uh, the Hill dot com that dealt with uh, it talked about what took place today. President Joe Biden was there for the march and he gave a speech there. I'm going to let you hear some of the speech here in just a minute. Okay. President Joe Biden chides GOP for trying to hide the truth about black history in marking Bloody Sunday, in marking Bloody Sunday. Okay. So uh, we'll go to uh, a queue up clip number three. Uh, for me, Doug, we'll come to clip three in just a minute here. All right. So if we look at this article, um, in just a second here, this is jumping around on me. President Joe Biden on Sunday called out Republicans for efforts to limit teaching parts of black history as he marked the 58th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. Now, We've talked about these voters. Uh, we've talked about these uh, anti-critical race theory uh, bills here on this show extensively. And also I talked about the. 
um, advanced placement in African American studies course that Governor Ron DeSantis is blocking in Florida and the Florida Department of Education. Now, let me ask you all a question. See, we keep giving white people too much power over us and keep talking about what they won't let us do and all this nonsense. So who has gone to the college board's website to look at the 234 page framework that they uploaded that's there that's free? Because I've gone and looked at it and, we, and I've talked about it here on this show and, as well as on Farage Muhammad's show. It's uh, collegeboard.org collegeboard.org and they have the uh, framework there. Now I got to go back and find it. You can also uh, Google it in different articles that are written about it. They have it there, uh, but you can just search for uh, AP African-American studies and it comes up with the uh, pilot. And let's see here. It'll, 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 come up, it'll come up with the whole thing, AP course and exam. Okay, now, who has gone through to look at this? What I said a couple of weeks ago on Faraja Muhammad's show is that, uh, and this is, it, it, they have the whole 234-page uh, uh, framework, here, official AP studies coursework, uh, view the framework. It's right here. Let me show you, let me show you this here. You can go to their website and just search for it. Okay. And then it comes up. Pilot AP African-American studies. Okay. And it shows you here in, in, in the blue with the blue, blue background, official AP African-American studies course framework. View the framework. Click right there. It comes up with the PDF. This is 234 pages. It's, it's, it's the whole curriculum. It comes up. You can watch. You can look at this for free. Okay. Now, if you scroll down, I think it starts page fifteen. What I want. Uh, where is that? Page eleven. Then we look at page uh, uh, thirteen. They break down the units. I want to look at the breakdown of the units. They show it's broken into four units, if I remember correctly. This, uh, where is it? Okay, hold on, let me back up. It's or, or around page nine, I think it is, where they show right right here. This is what I want. Yeah, page nine. Okay, then we go into page 10. Course at a glance. Units and instructional focus. Unit one. Origins of the African Diaspora. Origins of the African Diaspora. So this is a year-long course. It's broken up into uh, four units, okay? Here's what's in unit one. Introduction to African-American studies. Introduction to African-American studies. The strength and complexity of early African societies, early West African empires, early African kingdoms and city-states, early Africa and global politics. Then uh, unit number two deals with freedom, enslavement, and resistance. Atlantic Africans and the transatlantic slave trade. From capture to sale, the middle passage, slavery, labor, and American law. Now, 
we don't need white people's permission to to set up uh study groups in our communities and and break and go through and break down all these topics go through and break down all this information in study groups we don't need white people's permission to do that who has said that we need to do that how many people have you heard saying that all, all the people complaining on msnbc and these different shows that people call into who has said that we'll deal with this on the other side of the break of this to the african history network show on michael m hotel we'll be back in a few minutes Hotel. Now we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We're current events and histories and much, much more. We're going to give you an update on what's going on. This is about self-preservation. We have to extinguish the fire of white supremacy. See, that's just our consequences. Catch it all right here on 910 AM Superstation. All right. Welcome back to the African History Network show. Okay. Uh, we run out of time here. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, if we look at this article here, we're going to uh, clip three with Joe Biden here in just a second, um, Doug. And I need to get that queued up also. All right. If we look at this article from uh, thehill.com. Uh, thehill.com, uh, name of this article is Biden chides GOP for trying to hide the truth about black history in marking uh, Bloody Sunday. So President Joe Biden on Sunday called out uh, Republicans for efforts to limit teaching black history as he marked the 58th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, as he marked the 58th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. History matters. Uh, President Joe Biden said at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, Edmund Pettus was um, a member of the Ku Klux Klan. He's also a state. Uh, he was also a senator there in uh, Alabama. History matters, Biden said at the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. Quote, the truth matters, notwithstanding uh, what the other team is trying to hide. They're trying to hide the truth. So Biden highlighted the importance of teaching African-American studies which comes amid a growing debate over Republicans pushing to prevent the teaching of certain subject matters, such as African-American studies in schools, such as African-American studies in schools. Quote, no matter how hard some people try, we just, we can't just choose to learn what we want to know, but not what we should know. We should learn everything, the good, the bad, the truth of who we are as a nation and everyone should know the truth of Selma Biden said. Okay. He also talked about uh, uh, pushing for the John Lewis voting rights act. Uh, that, that ain't going to happen with Republicans in control of the house. No Republicans in the house of representatives supported the John Lewis voting rights act when uh, Republican, when Democrats uh, controlled the house uh, that bill passed in November 2021, I think it was, it passed the House of Representatives by a vote of 219 to 211. No Republicans support that in the House or the Senate. Okay, 200, 219 Republicans voted no on the bill after they sat up there and cried about John Lewis dying and all this stuff. They, 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 they're not voting for that. The, the strategy that we're using to get that bill passed, we're not using the right strategy. You need to go after these corporations, put economic pressure on some of these corporations and have targeted sustained economic withdrawal strategy 
of certain corporations that help finance and put some of these Republicans in office who are who are blocking the bill. We're not speaking a language that these people understand. Okay, let's go to clip three, uh, uh, President Joe Biden, Doug. Billions of dollars committed to build Africa. Angola is going to have the largest solar facility in all of Africa. We're investing in Africa because Africa is important and because everything happening there will affect us. So, folks, that's number one. Number two, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I've told the mayor, I, uh, I think mayor's being the toughest job in America. But one of the mayors who took some time to come and help me put together my program, Keisha Lance Bottoms. Keisha, would you stand up? From Atlanta. She's understandably going home because she's got some kids and it's about time she promised she'd stay as long as she did and she did. But uh, we got another mayor coming too. So anyway, thank you very much, Keisha. And uh, folks, uh, you know, last time I was here, my daughter is a social worker, Ashley Biden was with me. She couldn't be with me today. She wanted to because she's working on a project for battered women up in uh, up in Delaware and Philadelphia. So. She sends her best. On this stage, the children of God started a journey, walking, not saying a word, beaten, tear gassed. On this bridge, blood was given to help redeem the soul of America. Last time I was, he was here, I was with him, John Lewis. They were his words. Mayor Perkins, Congresswoman Terry Sewell, Members of Congress, all of you are here. Charles Maudlin, all of the foot soldiers of Selma. Distinguished guest, where uh, you were the, the, among the final words of our dear friend John Lewis delivered as he stood on the bridge over troubled waters three years ago. I had the privilege of standing with him. Words that give meaning to the past and purpose to the future. I've been on this bridge before as vice president as a candidate for president, and was even before as a senator, because history matters. And now I'm here as your president. The truth matters, notwithstanding what the other team is trying to hide. They're trying to hide the truth. No matter how hard some people try, we can't just choose to learn what we want to know and not what we should know. We should learn everything, the good, the bad, the truth, of who we are as a nation, and everyone should know the truth of Selma. 600 believers put faith in action to march across that bridge named after the Grand Dragon of the KKK. They're on their way to the state capital of Montgomery to claim their fundamental right to vote, laid in the bedrock of our Constitution, but stolen by hate, harbored in too many hearts. With unflinching courage, foot soldiers for March for Justice marched through the valley of the shadow of death, and they feared no evil. The forces of hate conspired to demise, but they endured. They forced the country to confront the hard truths and to act to keep the promise of America alive. I was a student up north in the Civil Rights Movement. I remember feeling how guilty I was. I wasn't here. How could we all be up there and you going through what you went through, looking at those? I can still picture, I can still picture the 
troopers with their batons and wands and whips. A promise that declares we're all created and deserve to be treated equally. Two weeks later, they marched to Montgomery with Dr. King and an even bigger coalition of people from different races and faiths. Five months later, the Voting Rights Act was signed into law five months later. But as I come here in commemoration, not for show, Selma is a reckoning. I was right there. Okay. All right. So we're running out of time here. Those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We're going to keep going for a few more minutes. I want you to hear the interview that Fox 11 Los Angeles did with me about P.O. Pico, the last Mexican governor of California. Uh, the mistake that's being made right now dealing with the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. One, you should take John Lewis' name off of it and just uh, call it a Voting Rights Act or a Freedom to Vote, whatever you want to call it. Two, you have to deal with how white people are being disenfranchised. Uh, we're going to go to the story uh, dealing with uh, the, the segment from Roland Martin Unfiltered, dealing with what they're trying to do in Texas and remove uh, voting booths from college campuses. You have 48 million disabled Americans uh, who are registered voters. When you talk about um, uh, taking away uh, voter drop boxes or mail-in ballots, that hurts them of different races. When you have, uh, and right now, Republicans are targeting people who lean toward voting for Democrats, regardless of race. So that hurts a lot of white women as well. The women's reproductive movement, you have to bring them into this as well. There's more, there's a lot of non-African-American people who are, who are being hurt by these voter suppression bills. You can't approach this like 1965, summer Alabama. Then African-Americans were the target, okay? Now they're targeting people who are more likely to vote for Democrats, okay? So you have to change your strategy. Okay, uh, right now it's correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next Sunday. All right, stand by. All right, let me disconnect this call. Okay, uh, let's go back to a little bit more of this clip here from President Joe Biden from uh, today. I remember feeling how guilty I was. I wasn't here. How could we all be up there? And you going through what you went through, looking at those, I can still picture, and still picture the troopers with their batons and wands and whips. A promise that declares we're all created and deserve to be treated equally. Two weeks later, they marched to Montgomery with Dr. King and an even bigger coalition of people from different races and faiths. Five months later, the Voting Rights Act was signed into law five months later. But as I come here in commemoration, not for show, Selma is a reckoning. The right to vote the right to vote, to have your vote counted, is the threshold of democracy and liberty. With it, anything's possible. Without it, without that right, nothing is possible. And this fundamental right remains under assault. The conservative Supreme Court has gutted the Voting Rights Act over the years. Since the 2020 elections, a wave of states and dozens dozens of anti-voting laws fueled by the big lie and the election deniers now elected to office. The new law here in Alabama 
among other things, enacted a new congressional map that discriminated against black voters by failing to include what should have been a new predominantly black district. That case, as you all know better than I, is in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. And my U.S. Department of Justice has joined many of you in arguing that the map violates the Voting Rights Act. All of this after a deadly insurrection on January the 6th. We must remain vigilant. In January, I signed the Electoral Count Reform Act to protect the will of the people and the people transferring the, and the peaceful transfer of power. We know that we must get the votes in Congress <coughs> to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. I made it clear I will not let a filibuster obstruct the sacred right to vote, the right of any other right to vote from there. And that's why you follow the words that you all have, the words of Dr. King. He said, give us the ballot, we will place judges on the bench who will do justly. Led by Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, and more black women appointed to the federal appellate court than every other president in history has done. We're about to do that. After Senate Republicans blocked the George, George Floyd Justice Policing Act last year, I did what was in my power. I signed an executive order requiring all the key elements of the bill applied to federal law enforcement. I couldn't make it to states banning chokeholds, greatly restricting no-knock warrants, establishing a database for police misconduct, advancing effective and accountable community policing that builds public trust. We'll keep fighting to pass the reform nationwide. Folks, well, we passed the most significant gun safety law in 30 years, but I'm not ready to stop, nor is Jim Clyburn or anybody else up there ready to stop. I led the effort when I was a senator to pass the assault weapons ban, and we banned assault. We're going to ban assault weapons again. They matter. When we had the ban, fewer people died, fewer mass shootings. And together we're saying loud and clearly that in America, hate and extremism will not prevail, although they are rearing their ugly head in significance now. Silence. As the saying goes, silence is complicity. And I promise you, my administration will not remain silent. I promise you. The task before us is about justice, but it's also about jobs, financial stability, the ability to generate generational wealth. It's about hope, self-worth. It's about dignity. That's why we're building an economy that I've been very significantly criticized for, but I make no apologies, that grows the economy from the bottom up and the middle out, not from the top down. We weren't poor, but we weren't wealthy. We were a typical middle-class family with a three-bedroom home and four kids and a grandpa living with us. I don't remember anything trickling down from my, on my dad's kitchen table from the trickle-down economic problem. Because when we do that, we build from the middle out, the bottom up, the poor have a ladder up. The middle class does very well, and the wealthy still do well. We all do well. 
We know there's work to do, especially as you recover from this devastating tornado and the storms that hit in January. That's why working with Terry and the mayor, I issued a major disaster declaration immediately, committing the federal government to cover 100 percent of the debris removal. We also are paying for temporary housing, home repairs, supporting local businesses, small businesses, as well as doing in, in other towns devastated as you have been. To date, we provided $8 million in recovery, and we're just getting started the rebuilding effort. And we're here, we'll be here as long as it takes. The first major bill we passed without a single vote from the other team was the American Rescue Plan when I was sworn in. That has provided $60 million to Selma and Dallas County directly. One of the things, having been a county official for two years, I learned a long time ago, I didn't like anything that went through the state legislature. No, I'm not joking. Good people, but they all want a piece of it. If it's supposed to come to my county, it better damn well come to my county directly. So this is going directly to your county, directly to your city, to keep teachers, nurses, police officers, firefighters on the job. Selma's also benefited from the bipartisan infrastructure law, which is a multi, multi-billion dollar commitment to rebuild this country. How can we be the leading economy in the world if we don't have the best roads, ports, and so on? How can we be that? Well, guess what? It's the largest investment in infrastructure since Eisenhower's interstate highway system. Here in Selma, we're funding major water projects, removing over 800 poisonous lead pipe service lines that are over 100 years old, because every child should be able to turn on a faucet and drink clean water without fear of getting sick. And it's going to deliver affordable high-speed internet to every single home in this county and this city. And no parent, so no parent, God forbid another pandemic, is going to have to sit in the McDonald's parking lot to use their internet to be able to get no, have their kids' homework be done. Look, and in the process, these kinds of investments are going to create good-paying jobs. Most of these jobs don't require college degrees. They'll be able to hire here, hire in your community. And by the way, the unemployment rate for African-Americans under my administration is the second lowest has ever been in all of American history. And we're going to continue to make sure that happens. And by the way, I, uh, I'm the only president I've learned that had permanent offices in the White House for the Divine Nine and the HBCUs. I figured it out, man. I figured it out. Now, I know that the Vice President thinks that Howard's the best. Delaware State University, where I come from. But all kidding aside, we've contributed billions of dollars to put HBCUs in the position because they don't have, I mean it seriously, billions of dollars they don't have kind of trust funds that the major schools have. So guess what? It leaves out an awful lot of qualified African-Americans at HBCUs from learning how to deal with cybersecurity, learn how to deal with all the stuff of the future. Guess what? Right now, now they have that, and I'm able, as a President of the United States, to award these contracts directly there because they have, they have, the, they have the lab. I'm serious. It's a big deal. There's a lot more we're doing for Selman cities like it all across America. 
when I passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which, again, the other team didn't participate at all, which allows Medicare to negotiate drug prices for the first time. Do you realize, in America, we pay more for prescription drugs than any nation in the world? Hear me? More. And I've been fighting this for the last 25 years. But guess what? We finally beat Big Pharma. So now, oh, man, I, you have no idea how good I felt about that one. Because what's happened? What happened is now Medicare can say, we are not going to pay you more than $35 instead of $400 for that insulin that you need. And guess what that means? Not only, not only it reduced prices for people who need help, but it reduces the federal budget by $158 billion. You know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. In addition to that, when we reduce the cost of insulin for seniors on Medicare, we got a commitment initially, I propose, that we reduce for anybody needing that insulin. Well, guess what? The other team voted that down, too. Along came, along came the largest maker of insulin in the country. They, as they said, seen the Lord. They saw light. And here's the deal. I'm not kidding. Eli Lilly, one of the biggest drug makers of insulin, they just announced they're going to cap the cost of all their insulin at $35. And guess what that means? No other company going to be able to charge more than that because no one's going to buy it. For everyone else with diabetes, that's going to help 500,000 folks in Alabama today are on this. And it's going to reduce the price from somewhere between four and six hundred bucks a month to thirty-five dollars a month. So let's finish the job. Lower the price for everyone, including the two hundred thousand children with type one diabetes across this country. But there's more work to do. We'll protect Social Security and Medicare, and we'll protect. Did you, by the way, did you see that State of the Union address? I said, it means all you guys are against cutting Medicare and Social Security. Oh, yeah. Well, in my religion, we go, bless me, Father. That's a wonderful thing. Look, Medicaid is critically important to people that are having trouble making it. And the Affordable Care Act, we increased the available money by 800 bucks for those folks. We're going to make sure we protect those, too, to make sure they get the care they need. Look, we need to reward work, not just wealth, because no, the idea, you know, we used to have about 670 billionaires in America. Now we have about a thousand. You realize they pay a lower tax rate than your police officers or the people driving that ambulance. They pay a lower tax rate than hardworking folks. I think you should be able to make a trillion dollars. Just pay your fair share, Jack. No, I mean it. And there's no, and by the way, we'll also cut the deficit when we have them begin to pay their fair share. Look, with Terry's leadership, let's make sure working parents in Selma and across the country have a living wage. There should be sick days available, paid family and medical leave. We're the only country in the nation in the world that doesn't have it. Affordable child care and elder care, it saves money. Let's restore the full child tax credit. 
by the way, that cut, that cut black child poverty in half and gave tens of millions of parents some breathing room, including almost a million folks in Alabama. I was telling the mayor on the way over, my dad is a hardworking guy, a real gentleman, a decent man. He never got a college degree. He never get to go to college. It was a great regret he had. But you know what he used to say for real? I'm sorry I always quote my dad, but he, it's worth saying. He said, Joey, remember, a job's about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your decency. It's about respect. It's about being able to look your kid in the eye and say, honey, it's going to be okay. It's so easy to make that happen without any fundamental changes. But they're not letting us up to now. With HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge. Marsha, you're here, right? There you go. She's my Secretary of Housing and Urban Affairs. Look, she's leading the way on housing discrimination and affordable quality housing. My message to you is this. We see you. We're fighting to make sure no one's left behind. This is a time of choosing, and we need everybody engaged. We know history does not look kindly on those who deny the march across the bridge to redeem the soul of America. Let me close with this. In many of your faith traditions, Sunday is the Sabbath, the day of rest. But on that Sunday morning, on March 7, 1965, Amelia Boynton Robinson and 600 of her fellow children of God chose different pews. On this bridge of her beloved Selma, they were called to the altar of democracy. Unsure of their fate, but certain of the cause was righteous. So she would go on to say, quote, you can never know where you're going unless you know where you've been. We know where we have been. <clears throat> My fellow Americans, on this Sunday of our time, we know where we've been, and we know, more importantly, where we have to go forward together. So let's pray, but let's not rest. Let's keep marching. Let's keep the faith. But most of all, let's remember who we are. We're the United States of America, and there's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity when we act together. So let's go and finish the job. God bless you all, and may God bless our troops. All right, so you can watch the rest of that. That's at whitehouse.gov. President Biden delivers remarks on the importance of commemorating Bloody Sunday. That's from March 5th, 2023. Okay, uh, I want to go to uh, this story here. So uh, back on uh, February 17th on Roland Martin Unfiltered, we talked about this story out of Texas. And this story here comes from thehill.com. Texas lawmaker proposes bill to pro to prohibit polling places at colleges, college campuses. Texas lawmaker proposes bill to prohibit polling places at colleges. This is from February 17, 2023. A Texas lawmaker has proposed a bill to prohibit colleges and universities from having polling places on campus. And and would go into effect as early as September 2023. Texas State Representative Carrie Isaac, who's a Republican, of course, introduced the proposal on uh, Thursday 
uh, this is uh, February, uh, mid-February, okay? Uh, on Thursday, so that would have been uh, February 16th. To prevent all counties in the state from designating a polling place location on the campus of an institution of higher education. Now, the state's law defines an institution of higher education as any public technical institute, public junior college, public senior college or university, medical or dental unit, public state college or other agency of higher education. If passed, the bill would take effect September 1st. Now, the San Antonio Express News reported on uh, Friday, uh, uh, February 17th, that the earliest that most bills can go into effect if they do not receive support from two-thirds of the, of the state legislature is August 27th, 2023. Republicans control a majority of both houses of the, of the Texas state legislature. Republicans control a majority of both houses of the Texas state legislature. Now, the outlet of uh, the San Antonio Express News reported that the bill comes after another was filed that would require counties to include a certain number of polling locations on college campuses based on the size of enrollment, based on the size of enrollment. Now, uh, Republican Kerry Isaac said in a Tuesday statement announcing her filing of the bill that she is concerned with student safety in the aftermath of the shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas in May and a stabbing at the University of Texas at Austin. Quote, we must protect places of education where our children and young children gather. So let me get this straight. You're so concerned about the safety. You want to take away polling places that make it easier for college students to vote. And college students are more likely to vote for Democrats than Republicans. So you're so concerned about their, their safety that you want to take away uh, polling places on college campuses. If you are concerned about their safety, then what common sense gun laws have you called for in the state of Texas? Because because your governor signed a law, Governor Greg Abbott signed a law, if I remember correctly, and uh, people can uh, carry guns, concealed carry, don't have to have training, don't have to have a concealed pistol license in Texas. So what common sense, if you're concerned about the safety of college students and you want to cite Uvalde, Texas, and a gunman there, or you want to cite something else, a gunman, what common sense gun laws have you proposed, Kerry uh, Isaac? So she said, we must protect places of education where our children and young people gather as a mom with one child on a college campus and one on a public school campus, 
I think about the safety of my sons and their classmates regularly. I have been working on a package of campus safety legislation that I believe would protect open college, public school, and charter school campuses. She added that she is also drafting a piece of legislation to ban polling places from K through 12 public and charter schools and another to expand the state's school marshal program to include volunteers from members of the military and police officers. So you don't think any of the volunteers from the military will shoot up the damn school, but you're afraid that somebody coming to vote is going to shoot up the school. You, you don't think somebody from the military who has post-traumatic stress disorder, something like that, would shoot up the school, but, 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 but you want, you're going to have volunteers, uh, state school marshal program to include volunteers from members of the military and police officers. But people vote like once every two years, maybe once a year, if there's a proposal or something like that, it's not like they vote every day. These, these are the games people are playing in Texas of all places. Move Texas, a nonprofit organization that seeks to make underrepresented, uh, underrepresented youth communities civically active, denounced Representative Kerry Isaac's proposal in a statement calling it an unmistakable and blatant way to, to suppress people's right to vote. Now, this is an example. They didn't say they're taking it away from HBCUs. They didn't say she, she's not proposing to take away polling places from, from schools that have a high African-American population. She's proposing taking it away from all college campuses in Texas. Well, college students are more likely to vote for Democrats than Republicans. The group... Uh, Move Texas, Move Texas, a nonprofit organization that seeks to make underrepresented, underrepresented, underrepresented youth communities civically active. Move Texas said lawmakers should address the issue of long lines and wait times at polling locations on college campuses by expanding the number of available locations instead of prohibiting them. I guess she's, I guess Carrie Isaac is going to address the long lines at polling places at college campuses by just removing the polling places at college campuses. See, we, we, we got rid of it. Okay. You, we, you don't, you don't have to worry about high gas prices. We are just going to repossess your car. And then you don't have to worry about gas prices. Okay. <laughs> so we discussed this on Roland Martin unfiltered on Friday, February 17th. Let's go to this clip. All right, folks, let's talk about what they're doing there in Texas with my Friday panel. We have uh, Michael Imhotep, host of the African History Network show, Matt Manning, civil rights attorney uh, there in Texas, and also Joe Richardson, civil rights attorney as well. Uh, Matt, I'll start with you. You know, this is the thing that people have to understand. Uh, they can't just go, you know what, I. They really not going to do this whole deal. Yeah, it, it could actually pass because, again, what Republicans are trying to do is they are trying to lay the groundwork 
to steal elections. They saw what happened with the Roe v. Wade decision. They saw young voters turn the GOP away in 2022. If it was not for young voters, you would not have had uh, Democrats being able to withstand what should have been a red wave. This is a direct assault on voters between 18 and 25 years old. And folks had better understand, you're going to see this happen all across the country because what they need, want to do is they want to make it harder. And so if you make it harder for young folks to vote, they're thinking they're not going to travel a far distance away. I remember in, I think it was a 2012, I believe, that a county clerk in Wisconsin admitted to moving an early voting location off of a college campus to a location far out that had bad parking. Uh, and so because she said, all them young kids, they were voting Democrat. This is what they do. This is about rigging and stealing elections for Republicans. It absolutely is. And what I think is especially important in terms of context in this situation is Carrie Isaac is the, uh, the representative for Hayes County, which is just south of Austin, right where I grew up. Hayes County is the county where uh, Texas State University is. So there may be an even deeper political thing here because Texas State University in San Marcos, the city it's in, has exploded in the last 10 or 15 years. And they actually just elected their first blue DA there in a very long time. So uh, this is exactly what you're saying. It's part and parcel with the assault that we've seen Republicans very brazenly uh, commit as it relates to voting. And the thing about this that's so indefensible is that there is really no logical reason that you would do this. So many people vote on college campuses. It's a place that even non-students go to vote because people know it's customarily where you can go to vote. So the only reason you do this is to suppress votes and to suppress participation. And even if the Republicans don't think this will actually pass, this is to signal, hey, we're going to keep pushing the bounds out further and make it exceedingly clear that we're playing for keeps and we want to rig the rest of you know, uh, the, the generations going forward as it relates to the courts, as it relates to everything. And all of that happens via the ballot box. Um, you know, Joe, um, again, I think what people have to people have to stop underestimating how evil works. This is about power. And they know if we can knock off three, four, five, six, seven, eight thousand, ten thousand votes, hey, that's the margin for victory. Let me remind people Biden Harris wins Georgia by twelve thousand votes. They barely won Arizona by a similar margin. It ain't that hard to do this. Right. And, you know, it's all about dividing and conquering. And one of the things that you want to be able to do, you know, the power of a suggestion uh, is uh, uh, very prevalent here. What they want to do is suggest to you, young voters, suggest to you, young voter of, of color, that you shouldn't be voting by just making it more difficult. Um, you know, things in the media, uh, things that are said, you know, you see what's happening in, in Florida, even with, uh, you know, uh, degrading the importance of African-American history. They want to suggest that you don't belong and that your voice doesn't count. But at the same time, they got to make it harder for you to vote because, in fact, your voice does count. And if you make it heard, they're going to be outnumbered. So they're not going to win on numbers. They're not going to win on ideas. And divide and conquer is getting harder because there's more people to divide and conquer because they're getting ready to get outnumbered. 
And so what they want to do is make it as hard to vote as they possibly can without dealing with ideas, without uh, appealing to people, particularly in places that are getting more black and brown. Now, Texas has been a little bit more fortunate because as uh, California got majority minority, California is very liberal, right? Um, Texas, not so much. You know, more of your Hispanic audience is not so likely uh, to automatically go Democratic as, as black folks are. But that being said, that time is coming, too. Go back to Beto's uh, campaign, uh, where he got a lot closer than a lot of people thought he would. There's these Democrats that are coming out of nowhere. No, they're getting ready to be outnumbered. And so you have to get that young segment, because this young segment, college-educated, Trump does good with people that don't go to college. Republicans does do good with people that don't go to college and people that don't have critical thinking skills, with all due respect to those that do have critical thinking skills. And so that's the battleground. Divide and conquer is getting harder. But if we can keep them from voting, then we can hang in there just a little bit longer. You know, and again, Michael, they understand if you make it, see, this is the people understand, if you make it harder, you can knock the numbers down. That's the whole deal. They want to make it harder. Exactly. And Republicans are masters at this. Now, we need to outsmart them at their own game. And to pick up what Joe just said, and I'm going to uh, reference back to something you and I have talked about, Roland, uh, Joe talked about critical thinking skills. And People who go to college, college students are much more likely to also have taken a political science class, which means they can see through a lot of the nonsense that Republicans are trying to feed to them as well. But, you know, Roland, we've talked about this numerous times before, and, and I've talked about how uh, I think a lot of the civil rights leaders, I think they're very committed, they mean well. I think they made a tactical mistake by not expanding who was harmed by voter suppression bills. It's not just African-Americans. It's white college students, it's Latinos, Asian-Americans, white women. And I I've talked about how they needed to link up uh, when they were trying to get the voting rights bill passed, the John Lewis voting rights bill. You need to link up with the, uh, the women's reproductive movement, women's reproductive rights movement, uh, white women. Uh, you have 48 million disabled Americans who, who, who are registered to vote. When you talk about taking away um, uh, uh, drop boxes, uh, ballot drop boxes, things like this, or mail-in ballots, that hurts them of all different races. So a lot, of the, a lot of the civil rights leaders, we love them, but they keep acting like this is 1965, some Alabama. No, you Republicans are trying to suppress the vote of people who are more likely to vote Democratic, regardless of race, even though we're the number one target. And you talk about Texas. Lastly, Smith versus Allwright, 1944, U.S. Supreme Court case. You study the history of Texas. Texas had all-white Democratic primaries, where African-Americans were not even allowed to vote in those primaries. So you study the history of Texas, you understand the voter suppression laws. We can see this coming. So this is another reason why elections have consequences, and as we have to vote strategically and vote these people out of power. All right. Okay, so check that out at... Uh... That's on uh, Roland's YouTube channel and it's on Facebook and uh, download the Black Star Media app. That is uh, from February, February 17th, uh, 2023. Okay, we were talking about uh, proposed Texas House Bill 2390 bans voting on college campuses. And uh, that day, let's see here, that day the... Uh, the title of 
that day's broadcast. Texas college campus poll bill and then Tyree Nichols, cops plea, South Carolina teacher attacks black students, black student all-star weekend. All right, lastly, before we get out of here, uh, I was on, I was interviewed by Fox 11 uh, Los Angeles a few weeks ago during uh, Black History Month. And this was dealing with uh, P.O. Pico, okay, P.O. Pico, P.O. Pico, who was the last uh, Mexican governor of California before California became a state in the Union in uh, 1850. It became territory of the United States in 1848 because of the uh, Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which is the treaty that ends the Mexican-American War. Now, if I can find this here, okay, where is this? All right. So I was contacted by um, somebody at Channel 11 to uh, for this story, to interview me for this story. Let me pull up this picture here. And let's go to this clip. Okay, just I have to cue this up because we're not on 910 AM WFDF uh, now, and I have to operate the boards. All right, let's go to this clip here. This is from uh, February 9th, 2023.
similarities in our history than differences. Pio Pico was born in 1801 at the San Gabriel Mission. He first became governor in 1832, which was after independence from Spain. By then, Mexico had already had a black indigenous president, Vicente Guerrero, who had abolished slavery three years earlier. In 1870, he actually sold the San Fernando Valley here in order to build the Pico House. He was wealthy, and he built the first three-story building in Los Angeles, the Pico House Hotel in Placita Olvera, which still stands today. We were the wild, wild west at that time, so a uh, hotel with indoor plumbing was amazing. He would eventually lose the hotel and his fortune. As the American culture started seeping in and coming into California, that's when he started having some losses in the business world. After a legal battle that lasted for years, he was eventually evicted from his 21-room mansion in what is now Whittier. He died penniless at the age of 93. Thanks. Of the most Let me back this up. I'm going to start it from the beginning. He has one of the most recognizable names in the city of L.A., but he's often overlooked when it comes to our textbooks. This Black History Month, Christy Fajardo introduces us to Pio Pico, an Afro-Latino who once ruled over Alta, California. One of L.A.'s busiest boulevards bears his name. So does a city, and although many have heard of Pio de Jesus Pico, they may not know he was one of the wealthiest men in the state and one of the most powerful. Don Pico was the last governor of Alta California during Mexican rule, and he was Afro-Latino. And this is his walking stick. Kathy Atencio gives tours of Pico's mansion in Whittier, which is now a state park. His pictures adorn the walls where he once entertained a who's who of California society. He loved having parties. He was a, a party animal. He was a businessman so astute, he amassed more than 500,000 acres of land, owning the area now known as Anaheim, most of the San Fernando Valley, and northern San Diego County. Crossed the highway in 1855, and made a $25,000 bet on one horse. He lost the race. He lost that, and he didn't even care at that moment. He was so rich. And now that, that $25,000 is equivalent to about a million dollar bet in today's money. His ancestors were a mix of African, indigenous, and Spanish. You know, it was recognized that he had this mixed, mixed heritage, but he was still able to become a successful businessman in his own right. Despite humble beginnings, he and his brother turned a small store they started to support their family after their father died into a cattle ranching empire, leveraging his power to become governor of a territory that was far more than just modern-day California. Not once, but twice. Pio Pico was very powerful because he was a, and power was all in land. It's a hidden part of history and it's a hidden part of Mexican history. Michael Imhotep is the host of the African History Network and contributor to BlackThen.com. He says Pio Pico is just one of many Afro-Mexicans who helped shape the West and is an example of the common history between blacks and Latinos in our state. So when we start going back in history, we start seeing more similarities in our history than differences. Pio Pico was born in 1801 at the San Gabriel Mission. He first...
became governor in 1832, which was by then Mexico had already had a black indigenous president, Vicente Guerrero, who had abolished slavery three years earlier. In 1870, he actually sold the San Fernando Valley here in order to build the Pico House. He was wealthy, and he built the first three-story building in Los Angeles, the Pico House Hotel in Placita Olvera, which still stands today. We were the wild, wild west at that time, so an in, a hotel with indoor plumbing was amazing. He would eventually lose the hotel and his fortune. As the American culture started seeping in and coming into California, that's when he started having some losses in the business world. After a legal battle that lasted for years, he was eventually evicted from his 21-room mansion in what is now Whittier. He died penniless at the age of 93. Thanks to his legacy, his sprawling adobe was never torn down. It's now a state park where visitors can walk its halls and learn that California once had a black governor. Chrissy Fajardo, Fox 11 News. And if you'd like to learn how you can tour Pico's old mansion or if you'd like to check out blackthen.com, we've put the links on our website, foxla.com. All right. So pretty good segment so just so you know they interviewed me for about 30 to 40 minutes <laughs> right and I'm, I'm going through breaking down history but only a fragment made it into the segment the segment is about three minutes long so that's how it goes especially when you deal with local news all right uh if you like this type of information please support the african history network dollar sign the ahn show through cash app Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me, me forward slash the AHN show. The socials keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting uh, the show, pay some of the bills, etc. Upgrade equipment. Uh, we have our Cash App PayPal information right on the homepage of our website, uh, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, and information about the radio show, our social media handles here as well, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Twitter. Be sure to register for the online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt. The Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade. What they didn't teach you in school, you can pay debit card, credit card. It's on sale $80, regularly $130. Even after the course is over with, you can go back and watch uh, the entire course over and over again. You'll still have full access. Next class is Saturday. March 11th, then Sundays, uh, I teach uh, black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, the U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. Same format, same pricing structure. Uh, so, and then we have a bundle pack where you get both classes uh, for $120. It's a $300 value because you get five of my lectures free in, in digital format. They'll be in the video library. Okay, so we have the uh, bundle pack also for $120. Then uh, if you've taken any of our online classes in the past, uh, email us at ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com or email us right through the website. You'll get a 50% discount on uh, the course bundle. Okay, 50% discount. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.